All right, so Cleon. Yes. Uh, have we talked about uh, Lupin the Fourth? Fuck off. What? Okay. What do you mean? What so, are you talking about? So, no, is this some sort of like Batman, Catwoman, like secret child? Uh, it's kind of like a secret child. Uh, it's the secret Lupin love child between Japan and America. Uh, we need to talk about the time America nearly made Lupin the Fourth. No way! Yeah, yeah, I know you've been clamoring for a Western adaption and you're like, why haven't they ever done anything? Um, about to tell you why. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I did mention this to you one time and you kind of, you're just busy doing other stuff. So I think you didn't give it much attention. It might have just been a text I sent you. Because um, I wanted to save it to get your live reaction to this. Oh my God. So I was sitting at home um, watching an episode of Lupin one time, um, quite a while ago. And I was looking at Zenigata. But I was like, man, there's something about Zenigata's design that's really similar to like Inspector Gadget. Like I'm getting massive Inspector Gadget vibes from Zenigata. That, we will come back to the Inspector Gadget stuff a little bit later, because that was something that came up on my Lupin weekend, but continue. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so I was looking at that design. I'm like, I wonder if Inspector Gadget, you know, was inspired by Lupin or had any connection there. I know Inspector Gadget has kind of like a, a, that anime aesthetic because it's being produced mm. overseas. Um, I wonder if there's a connection. And what I uncovered blew my mind. <laughs> oh, couldn't have a bigger connection. So it turns out that uh, Dick uh, Entertainment. Um, what? Know, Wait. <laughs> you know, so the this old... is not a porn parody. No, 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 no. no. The old 90s. Is this, the, is this, are we going to have another Spider Man porn parody conversation I, I on this podcast? Which I realized we had. And I'm like, you know how people are embarrassed of who they are in high school? I'm embarrassed of who I was in my first three episodes of recording this podcast. <laughs> Look, we all grew through our growth and change. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, Dick, I don't, DIC, do you remember in the 90s when a, when a video or a TV show ended, it had that like kid's bedroom and like a little magic ball like flew out the window and then a kid yeah. said, Dick! Because um, that was okay. the company. Um, they were into a whole bunch of animation and I, I believe over the years they started tanking a lot of money on different adaptions. And they were always trying to reach out and find, you know, what is a Japanese thing that we can take and rework and, and bring to the West? And I think this is just before the great success of, of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. So everyone's just yeah. kind of like paddling around in the water. Um, so they, um, I think they even tried to do a Sailor Moon American adaption where they're gonna buy the rights to Sailor Moon. There's a pilot for this and reanimate it and have live action segments for Sailor Moon. So they're trying all kinds of crazy things and they're going bankrupt quickly. So at one point they buy the rights to Lupin or, or attempt to buy the rights to Lupin. And I think okay. they're told that they have the rights, but they haven't uh, actually, you know, the paperwork's not fully finished. So they make a pilot episode for Lupin the fourth and I'll have to show it to you after this podcast. Is it, so it's animated, right? It's animated, fully animated. And only one pilot exists and it doesn't have any recorded audio. Like nothing of, I don't even think the audio was recorded. Just the animation got made. So uh, Lupin the Fourth is Lupin the Third's assumed child that looks I identical. Just, <laughs> I just, but like what I'm, I just, what I'm struggling to grapple with is why don't you just do a Western version of Lupin the Third. Like, I just don't understand why that needs... Okay, continue, continue. So Lupin the Fourth hangs out with his co-partner, Jagan, 
who is like identical to Jigan. I'm not even sure if they're meant to have different names or anything. It's just yeah. them, right? It's them and there's a Zenigata character, although I think his design's different. Um, yeah. They live on a space station in the future, in like the year 3000. Oh. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> this is Lupin in space. So, Lupin... so Lupin lives for roughly a thousand years, then chooses to have a child. Something like that. Like they're one. in a Jetsons ass, like future, like <sighs> this big space station. They put on like space helmets and like go outside and commit all these heists on this space station. Which So they're trying to recreate Cowboy Bebop, but like Maybe that was the intention. But it's like a it's like Western. So the art is very it's it's similarly inspired but it's got much more of a Western flair to it. So it's very like boxy yeah. 90s square kind of robots and technology yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, they, I think they have like, you know, Western style eyes, which makes them look pretty weird in the character design. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, I can't, I'm trying to remember if Jigan wore the hat inside the space helmet or wore the hat in top, oh. on top of the space helmet. <laughs> but it was so funny ridiculous. I'm actually like so keen to see this. Yeah, movie. it's amazing. I, I couldn't believe this footage exists. It's a gold mine. Um, you can find it on YouTube. I'll show you afterwards. If you want to look it up, uh, listeners, go for it. It's wild. So like the Zenny character is chasing them around on like hover bikes and they're doing all these crimes. But then most interestingly of all, um, is there's a young girl there that's introduced. And I think the idea was she was going to be a recurring character that kind of partners with them. Um, she's maybe like a politician's daughter on the space station or something um, that Lupin is protecting. Um, and, you know, there for the audience and kids to relate to. Um, her design is like basically prototype Penny from Inspector Gadget. Yeah. Um, she's got like the two little braid uh, twin tail things going on, blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. She's got a different outfit, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just like Penny. And she kind of plays the same role. She's, I guess, and, and maybe even prototypical to uh, Ami um, from part five. Mm, she's mm, kind of mm, like mm. helping them hack and sneak around the space station. We'll and, talk about you know, today. That kind of thing, yeah. Um, so it's, it goes, I don't know, like 22 minutes. There's no audio, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but it's just this wild Lupin space adventure that leaves you with a massive, like, what, what if? And then <laughs> why yeah. did this happen? And apparently, I think what I understand is they didn't actually get the rights to Lupin. And, like, someone in Japan was kind of, like, pissed off that they attempted to make this pilot without the rights. And so it got, like, shut down, like, immediately after this got produced. Um, but they had, they put in a lot of effort, they had a lot of concept art, and they had all these animators ready to go to make something. And they needed to make something quickly because they were losing money. So I think they then went straight into making Inspector Gadget. They just used all the Lupin assets to make Inspector Gadget. And that's why he wears the what? trench coat. And that's why Penny's there. And oh. I legit think Lupin is the direct father of Inspector Gadget. That is... So the thing that I was going to say, and I was just going to say this, like whether you brought this shit up or not, I, I so I introduced um, my partner to Lupin the Third mm -hmm. on the weekend. Um, also, by the way, you're 100% right. Caliostro, perfect entry point because she really liked it. And she was immediately like, okay, cool. Let's, let's watch more of this. Mm -hmm. You know, like awesome. even though it's an old movie and she... She is not an animation person whatsoever. She right. doesn't know any cartoon for what it is. She doesn't watch any of the Pixar's. You know, I'm only now getting her into some of the Ghibli films mm -hmm. to try and ease her into anime. And she really liked Cagliostro. 
And she was kind of like, at the start, she was like, oh yeah, this is kind of like, get smart. And then at the end, she was like, no, 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 no. It's way more like Inspector Gadget. And she was just like, so like, yeah, this reminds me so much of Inspector Gadget. And it's so funny that you bring this up now. And it's like the, the, the reverse that Inspector Gadget may have possibly been inspired by Lupine. Yeah, well, if you think about, like, all the kind of the tools Lupin uses, like, he's yeah. got his little monocle, comes down, little grappling hooks and stuff. Yeah. Gadget is kind of all those things. Uh, yeah. And in a way, he's the, the American version of bumbling, where, I don't know, the West has never quite worked out how to make a comedic character cool at the same time, quite the same way Japan does it. Yeah. And so, you know, you can see elements of Lupin's personality in the goofiness of Inspector Gadget. Um, which, ironically, I think he's also voiced by the Get Smart guy in the initial uh, series. So does that parallel as well? Um, such a connection. Yeah, because yeah. even in Cagliostro, I was thinking, oh, yeah, Lupin had so many gadgets. And he had those gadgets all the way back in the 70s and 80s. Because like, mm. I always think about, oh, yeah, part one, Lupin, like, was he just, you know, just a super hard-boiled criminal? But no, he's he's always been this kind of kind of like an imp, you know, like this trickster yeah, yeah. all the way from the beginning. Bag and of tricks. Yeah, and even though in A Woman Called Fujika Mine and Aspects of Part 1, there are some really dark criminal vibes in it. And actually getting back to Part 5, there's definitely some criminal vibes in it too. But it it does always kind of go back to, nah, he's a trickster, you know? Yeah, yeah, he's doing it for the journal and he likes to use the tricks. I'm I'm blown away. That's yeah, so funny. It was crazy. It's I've so, never had like a more powerful satisfaction from a hunch that I've had. Yeah, yeah, and and just such good continuity as well, because like introducing it to a new fan, and then and them being able to go, hey, this is like almost like this other thing, and to find out that that other thing may have been inspired by yeah. it. I, I think totally crazy. what it was for me is I, I visualize like Zenigata when he's got like a minimal expression, like you just see the expressiveness of his eyes and barely his mouth. And I yeah. thought about Inspector Gadget's face and I'm like, he wears a trench coat, but like he's got the same kind of like void look of, of someone processing something internally in the situation. Yeah. It's yeah. such a weird feeling I had. I'm like, there's got to be a connection here. And there was, there would be no Inspector Gadget without mm. Lupin, uh, mm. which means without Lupin, we would not have got that live action Matthew Broderick film. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's been a hot minute since I've seen that. It's, it's not worth rewatching. Uh, you know what? Th- that actually brings up the idea of would Lupin work for Western audiences? Yeah. And maybe the reason why we haven't had that live action Western adaptation is the character himself. Because he, mm. I don't know whether Americans have that archetype of the goofy character that's also cool. Yeah. Like, I always feel like, to do. yeah, you always have to be one way or the other. Um, and, and they're always the butt of the joke. And I don't know necessarily if Lupin's always the butt of the joke. No. He's, he's always... going to be in control unless Fujiko yes. is there and also in control. Yes, yes. <laughs> like he's, he's always the in the control. Joke to Fujiko, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or to himself. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, but yeah, right, even, even like finding the right uh, a- actor age to play him would be difficult. Because, mm, mm, mm. you know, actors in that age range, you got like I got like Ryan Reynolds, kind of maybe a bit younger than him. They'd be too snarky. Like there's an, <sighs> an eager that comes but with they total actors. They totally cast Ryan Reynolds, wouldn't they? Yeah. He's everything now. Um, yeah. he taught, do you, so do you know about... This is off topic slightly, but do you know about Dragon's Lair, the 80s video game by Don Bluth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so they were, Don Bluth did a Kickstarter, raised funds to make a pitch reel to make an animated Dragon's Quest movie. It's something fans have wanted for years, a return to 2D animation, Don Bluth actually helping to make storyboards and that kind of thing. It was a big deal, right? That's very exciting for animation. Uh, Netflix picked it up. Netflix have changed it from a 2D animated movie to a live action film starring Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I heard there was a a, a Drakwe movie that came out recently, but I thought it was. Oh, it's a different one then. No, no, no. This is well. This is this just got announced. They're doing a live okay. action Dragon's Lair. Uh, so okay, um, which is very disappointing because the arcade game was all like two D drawn animation. Um, Sorry, so are pretty sad. I just got it confused with Dragon Quest, and Not I Dragon- was like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> As there, a lead there is, Dragon Quest. There is a Dragon Quest movie uh, on Netflix, which uh, if you don't know a lot about Dragon's Quest, the Japanese RPG, is pretty bizarre to watch because I've gone for this Pixar style. But yeah. my understanding is it, it is telling part of the story of the video game and then it goes off on a massive tangent where like self-insert characters interrupt the movie and are aware this is a video game franchise and crazy stuff like that happens. So I need to check that out. Um, yeah. Apparently it's quite boring until the end where it just goes like off the chain, like meta commentary on the Dragon yeah. Quest franchise. Yeah. Anyway, that is besides the point. Um, <laughs> shall we uh, reintroduce ourselves and yes. uh, explain why we're talking about uh, a loop on the fourth pilot? So, yeah, hello everyone. Welcome back to Asinine Lupine. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a full year now since uh, we've recorded this podcast. And I think there's just been quite a lot of things that have kind of been in the way of be- us being able to do it. But we're still quite determined to at least finish part five. Yeah, we'd like uh, to get to it. That was yeah. uh, Cleon's brainchild vision. Yeah, yeah. I really want to get to that point where we sort of talk about it all in retrospect. So we're kind of coming back here and we're going to talk about the third story arc in in part five for Lupin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's episodes 13 to 16. So I thought I would start off. So this is, we're coming back to Ami um in this part so the second story arc sort of went back was a little bit more lupine focused and when we come back here we get get we resume where army was which is that she's kind of trying to fit back into high school but uh being you know an ex world hacker she just doesn't really have the social skills to kind of 
um, blend in. And so she's kind of making friends with this misfit character who seems to have a really stereotypical, like, sort of, I don't even know. They try and convey that it's Indian, but then they go off and they make it super tribal. Yeah, um, I've got some theories on that. Um, so yeah, this character, she's got, I, I don't know the right terms for things. So I don't want to get it wrong, seeing as it's close to the home for you. Um, she's got, like, the, yeah. the Bindi thing, is that what we... Yeah, the Bindi, oh, yeah. yeah. Bindi. Um, she's making a yak stew in the, the school grounds. She's hunting with a bow and arrow. So initially we th- you, you were surprised, like, oh, this is an Indian character, but then it, it started showing more like a Himalayan region and it is a made up country she turns out to be from. But yeah. um, I think that's kind of the implication is she's kind of more an uh, uh, in Eastern Indian. I don't know where the Himalayan yeah. is located, but more yeah, in, in episode Yeah, in episode 14, they really do kind of give you a lot of information. And I think it is a sort of amalgamation of three different places. So I think it is India, uh, because I think the idea that this story is about software and information technology, and in Mm. our world, of course, India is a massive hub for software engineering and IT. Um, And then there's aspects of Bhutan as well, with um, yaks and yak milk and sort of some of the aesthetic vibes. And there's also a bit of Tibet. Um, yeah. with the mountains and everything. So I think it's kind of a, a mix of a couple of different countries. And it's mm. something that Lupin does a lot. Yeah. We had like Bawanda in um, the first story arc, which is kind of like a little bit of Rwanda and then a bit, a bit of, a little bit of a couple of Middle Eastern countries mm. and a little bit of the Caribbean. Um, and then... Even later in, in this arc, we have the CAA guy that says it's from Uger. Uger, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming is like some European random communist country or slavic or something like that because he's blonde hair but yeah you could tell that he's from an eastern european country because he's wearing like a like a soccer outfit yeah so it's just like oh yeah it's just some miscellaneous eastern european country i'm just so interested what name they were trying to match up there or where they're borrowing that name from actually Um, not to go too much off topic but i was watching some of part five with my partner so she was watching the start and i sort of explained to oh yeah so this is a made-up country and she was like hold on why are they using a made-up country if we already have japan and france in the show (laughs) And it, and it actually got me to think, like, yeah, why does Lupin do that? Like, what is the purpose? Like, why can't, if we are going to go for an Indian, Himalayan Have a whole series set in Italy. Why yeah. do make up countries? Yeah, but yeah there's a series. One of the biggest series of this show is called The Italian Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I guess it's the same as, like, comic books, like DC universe for example yeah you have realistic american states and you have um realistic countries but they never want to do any conflict or offend anyone from different countries so they make up their own iran and uh was like oh, what's it called i didn't say quebec but that's a real country uh qualia or whatever yeah um, yeah bialia, bialia yeah yeah Justice. all countries like that um yeah. are all made up yeah. That's um, actually a lot of what this reminds me of. Is like it mm. reminds me a lot of the DC universe because yeah. it's all of these made-up cities. And I think things it just like gives writers the freedom to kind of explore yeah. themes and to be creative with. Yeah, and to sort of blend yeah. a couple of aesthetics together because there is a huge yeah. Indian influence, but then you have the Bhutanese sort of and the Tibetan sort of influence yeah. on it um, as well. So yeah, well, getting back to the story. So, yeah, so this, I, this I would girl say that is a princess. I yeah. think we need to establish yeah. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I would say overall, this episode is a bit of a Lupin light episode. It's kind of mainly mm. about Army. And quickly what happens is that hostages, uh, or sorry, um, terrorists come in and take the schoolgirls hostage. But uh, what n- none of them know is that Fujiko is undercover as a teacher. Classic reminded, Fujiko role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It reminded me a lot of um, a woman called Fujiko Mine, where she's, um, for that episode, she's a teacher in mm. that as well. I, I actually um, think this arc, episode 13 to 16, um, I think it is kind of like, oh, sorry, 13 to 17. I think it is um, like a Fujiko focus uh, across this arc. I think it's blended in and balanced with other characters, but I kind of think in part five, there's moments where each character uh, kind of get their focus. I think Jigan had a bit of a focus in the first arc uh, and even a little bit in the second one trying to support Lupin. Lupin was a big focus of the second one. And then the last arc, we get a bit of a Goemon focus. Um, So I think this was kind of them being like, you know, if you're asking the question, who is Lupin and who are Lupin's friends and their relationships with him? This is who is Fujiko and what is her relationship with Lupin? Uh, and, and how is that observed yeah, by other people such as Army? 100%. And I think, you know, in the first story arc, we had a lot of like Lupin and Zenigata as Army's two dads. Yes, true. Um, and in this one, it's very much like Fujiko as her thief mum. Yes. You know, there's even the start when um, Ami's tied up and she tries to do a bit of a Fujiko impression, but yes. she she's just it's, not good at it at all. She doesn't really think ahead. It's an uncomfortable scene, to be honest. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable because the guy's trying to seduce a criminal. It was, yeah. Yeah. And it's very scary. And like the fear, it's actually one of the few times you really see her terrified and scared. And it's really, really good because it shows that she has aspirations to be a sort of Fujiko or Lupin-esque character, but doesn't really have the foresight to commit to it or know Mm. sort of what to do after that first step. And Fujiko also has like a really great line. She's like, you know, kids shouldn't really be in such a hurry to grow up. And I think a lot of this arc, especially for Ami, is about growing up. Right, yeah. Um, It's that... Sorry, continue. No, it's that contrast of, you know she's trying to kind of live this life as a high schooler, but as we sort of got in that first arc, she's getting excited by the life of thievery Mm. and it's kind of contrasting the two and kind of shows like what it really takes to live that life and get that excitement and sort of the cost that it comes out. I think a lot of this arc in particular is about consequences. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that plays out later on in the other arcs. Um, I have a theory for this arc that yeah. I, I don't know if it's the direct intention of this arc, but I think in this arc, Army kind of represents the audience. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit more as we continue in the summary of kind of where this arc goes. But I think Army is us observing Lupin and Fujiko, these larger than life figures, uh, and trying to work out like, can I be like them? Yeah. Or are these kind of fantastical? People, how do I, what, how am I as the audience inspired by Lupin and inspired by Fujiko and by his world? Um, especially at, at the conclusion of this arc, I, I feel, yeah, Ami is absorbing what she witnesses in the adventures of Lupin. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really good point to bring up because by the end of the series, we'll definitely talk a lot about how the audience sees Lupin yeah. and what these characters are doing. It almost kind of brings 
brings to fact that, you know, I think you had mentioned at the very start of the podcast when we sort of, you know, started talking about it, that these characters are these sort of godlike figures mm. in the world of Lupin the Third. Like these sort of four or five people kind of exist sort of on a different plane. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of reconfiguring that. And I'm like, oh, are they godlike figures or are they actors? you know, and yes. the world is sort of their stage. And now this is kind of the point where the audience is really making those observations and asking those questions mm. about what's happening in the play and how these actors are sort of, yeah. you know, portraying it really. Mm. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about episode 13 because I, I really liked it. It's probably my favourite episode of the arc because okay. I do like, yeah. And I know uh, that there's some really... I'd, no, I'd agree with that too, I think. Yeah, and I really, really like Fujiko's role in it. She, yes. This is probably like one of my highlight Fujiko parts of the season almost because I know that we kind of delve into it a little bit later, but um, here she, she does everything, you know? Yeah. There's the science that she uses. Well, the, I actually of... have a note about that. I She first uh, is shown, hang on, what did I write? Um Oh, first we see her try and seduce the guards and be yeah. all sexy. And she comes in basically naked. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, oh, really? Fujiko, I thought you maybe would have a better plan than this. But it turns out to work in her favor. But what, what they do there is they're not just having her be naked for no reason. They hard cut between her doing that to her preparing for that using science equipment in the school, uh, teaching army, using a Bunsen burner and making, uh, what does she make? A knockout? No, she makes um, a fluorescent dye. Oh, um, right. And so she touches everyone in the room. That's and, right. Yeah, because I have it in my notes where she's like, Fujiko owns everyone using sex, science, and super, sleu- super sleuth skills. Well, and pretty much. It, yeah, and it just goes to show, like, she really is extremely skilled. I mean, later Batman. on. Yeah, yeah, sexy Batman. <laughs> and, you know, uh, later on in this arc, we see her as a mechanic. We see her as a doctor. Yes. We see her as a carer. Like, there's there's just so many different roles that she can play. And what I really liked about this episode was that she tailors them all together. Yes. You know, she uses sex, she uses science, and she uses that sleuthing, you know? It's, mm. it's really, really good. And I, I like how it creates this sort of master and apprentice dynamic with Michiko yes. and Ami. Because one thing in this episode that Fujiko does is she actually narrates every single step, you mm. know? It's almost like she is tutoring Ami that this is how you do it, you know? Because she sees that Ami tries and totally fails. And this is her sort of giving her that tutorial of yes. this is how you be this person. And, and um, Fujiko knows Ami's not quite there yet either. No. Like she's a kid. Uh, she doesn't have the confidence yet. Uh, it's she's not ready to risk her life for the game the same way that Fujiko and Lupin do. Yeah, and I like the line that she has at the end where she is like she describes herself as a woman who's always loyal to her desires. Yes, um, is this, is I don't know. I haven't been keeping score. Is this the first time we hear Fujiko say that in this episode in this it, series? It's definitely the first time we hear it in this part, but she says it a couple of other times after. Yes, it's kind of her theme for this whole rest of part five. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really paid attention to it here. Um, Because I forgot to record why she says it. Did you make any notes about when she says it in this episode? Um, It's after she kind of takes everyone down and kind of, they're they're kind of questioning about what she wants. Like, does she want the pendant or whatever? And um, it's it's Ami also kind of questioning her. Yes, I remember why I wrote it down. 
because Fujiko easily could have just taken the pendant at any point yeah. in this episode. And she kind of plays it off like, oh, I'm doing this for fun. I'm a woman who's loyal to her desires. But yeah. her desires here is to kind of assist Lupin and help Lupin's peers in the situation. Uh, she, like, she doesn't really have a connection to Ami, but she knows that's important to Lupin. And I think secretly, she's like a, it's a double-faced statement. She's saying yeah. she's loyal to the, the game and the thieving, but actually the reason she's here is because her true desires is her, her loyalty to Lupin. Yeah, I think it's a loyalty to Lupin, but also kind of... Because w- she knows Lupin's interactions with women more than anyone else. Yes. And I think she knows that if Lupin had cut Blanche, he he wouldn't really expose Army to the full nitty-gritty of what this life is like. Like, yeah. I think Lupin would try and, um, you know, fantasize it a little bit for Army, but this is Fujiko going, no, this is what it's really like. Yeah, if you want to live a life with Lupin, this is what it involves, what be, you know? Yeah. She's kind of like, it's like, yeah, the good cop, bad cop, and she's very much the bad cop, kind of showing what the reality would be mm. uh, for Ami in this situation. True. Um, and then I guess episode 13, uh, they don't actually kind of save the day. There's a bit of a, a, a time skip because the princess goes off with uh, another teacher who's revealed to be a CIA agent mm. and they take her back uh, to her country. And Lupin kind of intervenes, but he kind of decides not to in the end. He's uh, yeah. going to keep his distance. Uh, Ami goes with uh, Fujiko. Um, and then the preview for 14 uh, kind of shows off this kingdom of Padar that she's the princess of. Um, and they use the term, a kingdom caught between tradition and modernity. Um, which we kind of see there's this beautiful painted background shot of like yeah. uh, this Tibetan temple and Buddhist thing going on. And then we have the skyscrapers and the city uh, of this corporation. Um, and that sets the stage for episode 14. So going into 14, I kind of now think they've used this setting as, you know, a foreign to have the freedom to kind of tell whatever story they want. But I'm wondering if, this arc is kind of, you're meant to draw parallels between Japan mm. and Japan's histories. Uh, Japan is a, another country that's caught between this idea of wanting to return to tradition, but yeah. we've gone too far with technology now. And there's a clash in people's expectations and ideals there. And, and with the growth of technology, you lose a loss of identity and nationality and that kind of thing. Um, so I'm thinking, I'm wondering if this whole arc is kind of, they wanted to tell a story about Japan, but Japan is too reoccurring for Lupin and too close to home. I'm wondering if they kind of made up this pseudo-India, Himalayan country to use as the ground to tell a Japanese parallel. I, I agree with you. And I think to add on to that, that question of, you know, tradition versus modernization, isn't that, what, isn't that what's happening with Lupin here? Yeah. You know, what do we, if we are to make more Lupin stories and the idea of what a, sto- what a Lupin story is, is very much the theme of this season. I think this asks the question, like, how do you balance tradition and modernization? Mm. Um, and I, I think in some ways, the, this arc doesn't really give you a great answer for that uh, no. within the story of the arc. I think it answers a lot of questions and poses some interesting thoughts about the characters, but the country of Padar itself, I don't, I don't really feel connected to. No. Um, I don't really get a good understanding of why there is this separation of, you know, old school tradition and modernization. We don't really see what, um, 
the girl's father, who's supposed to be the king of Padar. We don't really see why there's a gap. We don't no. see why there is a need for a coup. We don't see what the problems are of the country. All we kind of get is this sort of introduction to Padar as this sort of Orwellian Black Mirror style country, you know, where, I mean, Jigen tries to sort of have a smoke and the robots kind of immediately oh, detect right. it and <laughs> put it out, you know, and it's a kind of preview to what Shake Hands does at the end of the series. But um, it's very, it's very much that sort of, you know, George Orwell type of, mm. you know, there's a big brother, every, everything's controlled, everything's sort of streamlined into a particular way. And I think even a population's grief of, you know, as people seek out conveniences from the global world, they start to abandon their tradition and their values and the way things are done in the past. And there's a bit of sadness there. I think every country at the moment in the world is going through that in some uh, regard. You have, your family has passed down tales of what, you know, the country used to be like and how things used to be done. And now we're not, people aren't doing that anymore and honoring that. Um, I think there's a lot of hurt, especially for older people um, in ignoring those traditions. So I think that's why the bad guys in this arc, um, which turn out to be a very controlling high priest of, I think it's meant to be a made up religion, um, but it obviously has parallels. It, it- there's a strong implication that it's Buddhism, yeah. um, especially with the music and the sort of aesthetic. But um, yeah, it's it's just, again, odd because I, I, I can't really ever imagine any sort of Buddhist monastery being so heavily involved with the military. Yeah. And I'm trying to work so out if a that lot was, of... uh, is that commentary on, you know, this merging of two themes of tradition and technology. Is the military also represent the technology, but then they're fighting against, uh, you know, Shekan Corporation and that kind of thing. It's, mm. I think I think this arc is potentially one of the most ambitious of yeah. the series, but I think it gets muddied because it, it can't decide whether it wants to be a personal arc for the characters or, you know, just a commentary on this whole world and system they've set up. And I personally don't think there's enough um, character development on the main cast in this arc. They take quite a back seat, except Fujiko and Amy, but... um, Yeah, yeah. I think Dolma and Ugo, like, I I didn't, unfortunately, just didn't learn to care too much about their story. Mm. I like some aspects of of Dolma. Yeah, I like them. I like some aspects of Dolma towards the end, but again, I didn't really get any sense of what she thought about the country. You know, mm. she doesn't actually, you don't have her involved with the people. She actually talks to Lupin and the gang way more than she does to any of her own countrymen. Yeah. And I think that kind of creates a bit, a bit of a disconnect. There's a lot of stuff in here that that feels very jarring from the story's point of view. But I have to say, like re-watching this for the umpteenth time now, the, the time watching it for the podcast, I actually liked it the most because I was like, you know what? I almost don't care about that. This is such a great personal story about the characters mm. that I was still sort of engaged every yeah. step of the way. Well, so so Ami goes with Fujiko to save mm. the princess. Fujiko is mm. obviously after the the diamond, or so she claims. Yeah. Um, we get to see uh, Ami dress up as a spy in in a role I like to call Fujiko Mini. Um, <laughs> no, I love we that. A, we get a tiny Ami suited off in like a black leather suit potentially Very black a bit widow. inappropriate yeah yeah and she's sneaking in this himalayan castle all by herself uh, it's very cute um and she's even given a gun um 
which does a weird move on Fujikura's yeah. part. Um, but we do know that she can use a gun because yes. we remember when she first met Lupin, she oh, was that's fighting true. She had a gun in her, in her panties. panties. <laughs> Dude, Amy is a weird character. It's such... <laughs> so wrong. Um, yeah, so she's kind of going through and trying to do it, but she hasn't quite... She's not quite a Lupin character yet. Uh, yeah. Fear and just people that are stronger and more confident than her uh, overwhelm yeah. her. Um, one interesting thing, some interesting things I have noted here as Lupin then comes to rescue her um, is we see Lupin continue to use modern technology to achieve his goals. He uses a 3D printer to print out the mask. You know, you yeah. could easily just have Lupin always produce a mask. You don't have to care where it comes from. But to take the time to show Lupin is using technology to make them makes it yeah. more believable and grounded. Um, we also, I think really interesting in this arc, we see Lupin threaten to kill a man's family. Like the story kind of pauses to go out of the way to show that Lupin stole a picture of this man's family and is threatening to kill his family. And it does raise the question, oh, is Lupin actually a bad guy? The last couple of arcs is being kind of the hero. We've got to remember he's a criminal. Yeah. I I actually had this as a note to talk about for sure. I this is probably one of my favorite aspect of Lupin's character, and we kind of go. It's visited in um, the first arc of this season as well. Remember in the alleyways where Army's trying to sort of escape from Bawanda, and these criminals just try and you know uh, kidnap her and do what they want with her, and then Lupin you know beats them all up and sort of pulls the gun out and goes, if you don't have the balls to commit to it, don't ever try, you know, playing this game. Um, and he puts on a voice. Like, it's very yes. much like this the is a dries up. Yeah, yeah. And there's this very much this harshness and this callousness that we don't often see from Lupin. Um, and it kind of shows, like, as much as he is a monkey, a trickster, you know, he he knows this world better than anyone else and knows sort of the cost that, it comes out. And I, I don't think at any point he would be serious about no. actually, you know, um, putting the threat to, to, to action. But I like that he knows it will work. He yes. knows that putting this act will work and get him what he wants. Mm. Um, and, I, and I really like that, you know, I, I would really want uh, Ami to sort of see that a little bit more because a really huge part of this story is also the idea of what heroes are. Yes. And, and what is Lupin as a contextualized hero? Um, but to see him act so callous was really interesting. Mm. Um. Oh, and also the other part that I really liked was yes. we kind of get, and this is, oh, is going to be something that I'm going to say a lot. We get a bit of Cagliostro vibes here where Lupin pretends to be Zenigata. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I did start writing in note. I'm like... Um, Zenny was talking about like his relationship with Lupin and praising his skill and like, oh, it's so cool to see Zenny know Lupin that well. And then yeah. moment later, as I was writing my notes, he pulls off the mask and like, oh yeah, of course that was Lupin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I like the the bit of ego where um when Lupin is pretending to be Zenigata, where he's like, he's an idiot, but he's not a fool. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Well, that's what I was gonna comment on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really, really like that. Like Lupin Lupin kind of understands what Zenigata thinks about him, but then also like he's like, Yeah, Zenny knows I'm clever. Like Zenny's the first person who wouldn't underestimate me. 
yeah. Um, a couple of other highlights is um, I can't believe I got to see one of my favorite foods of all time, which are deep fried samosas oh, um, yeah. on a television show, and they looked amazing. Uh, have they you eaten painful. a samosa before, uh, Ben? I've had like party samosas. I'm assuming they're not similar in any regard. No, they're amazing. They're one of my favorite foods, and they're one of the few foods where like I could eat at any point time in the day actually wow. my favorite time to eat a samosa is when i can't go to sleep and then i wake up at 3 a.m and then i just have one like you know <laughs> so 3 a.m samosas the way 3 a.m samosas are a thing in cleon's household for sure is it, is it like india's kebab they are they yeah. are they're very much i mean india also eats a lot of kebabs what, but, what what's uh, in a samosa like what makes a samosa samosa besides yes. the drink samosa yeah, so it's a sort of pyramidal shaped deep fried pastry. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it just has sort of potatoes with seasoning and spices in it. Oh, it's mainly potato, is it? Potato, yeah, yeah. You do have meat samosas as well, where you put like a mincemeat like filling. Yeah. Um, so it then becomes like sort of like a meat pastizzi or like a deep fried meat yeah. pie. Is but it like a curry quite flavor? Often it's... Uh, no, or the like filling is a bit different. It it is it is like a, a little bit spicy, but it's not necessarily a spicy dish. Oh, okay. Uh, by any means, yeah. And you sort of dip it in like a coriander chutney or a yogurt oh. uh, sort of sauce, or have it with a tamarind chutney, which mm -hmm. is really sticky and sweet. But anyways, it's like probably the best samosas I've ever seen on TV. And yeah. I, I just I like the idea that Lupin the Third, you know, it's kind of inclusive of all these cultures. Yeah, well, it was interesting because it was they the first a... time the characters had eaten samosas as well. No, I think they knew what it was. Like, I think they, they kind comment of... that they want to try one because they've never tried one. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I thought, I felt like they, they'd kind of already known what it was, but they just didn't realize how hot it was and they play a bit of hot samosa, hot potato with it a little bit, uh, which was really fun. So that I really liked. Mm. And I also want to make a comment about Fujiko at the start of this episode. She has a really amazing costume. She sort of has this pink buttoned up shirt and this red tie that's worn really loosely. But what I really liked was her wearing the overalls. Mm. And I'm like, I want this Fujiko figure. I love her <laughs> in that sort of, you know, 1920s business attire. Yeah. Um, and I just like that she would dress herself in that way, you know, because at the end of the day, this is her job. And I like her wearing this sort of classy business attire to yeah. her job, you know, which is really cool. Yeah, it's good. All right. Um, my only other comment for this episode is uh, Lupin comes in to save the day. He does a cool thing with wires connected to his shoes. Yeah. I was watching with my wife. And she's like, what did Lupin do? He's just like uh, breakdancing. I'm like, you'll see. And then like wires come out of his shoe. <laughs> He's like, oh, actually, that was yeah. cool. Um, but then Lupin uh, gets shot with an arrow. Mm. I wanted to ask, does Lupin die in each arc? Or like, like does an episode end with him looking like he's going to die in every single arc this series? Yeah. No, you're right. Literally every single one. Oh my yeah. God, I never even made that connection. Yeah, like obviously in the last arc, about Albert, it's kind of a story point and it is more a question of did he die or not? This is more just a, yeah. a, a cheap cliffhanger. But yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure it appears like he dies in every single arc this season. Yeah. Gosh, what if the meta commentary is like, because this show very much is about the longevity of Lupin and its relevance in <laughs> life as a series. What if this, every arc, it's like, hey guys, Lupin could go at any minute, he, he yo. Killed, this though, shit is fatal at back. all times. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, yeah, so that ends on a real, like, cliffhanger, uh, which isn't, I mean, I guess that surprising, as, as you just mentioned. Um, and then episode 15 is, is a very deep episode. And what I really like about the start of this episode with Fujiko saving Ami and Lupin is that it's the beginning of Fujiko showing what a relationship with Lupin is really like. Oh, because true. what we get... Yeah, and the thing is, a lot of the start of uh, this arc was Ami's puppy love for Lupin. Yes. You know, her blushing and having that crush. And even I think when she's uh, taken hostage by that terrorist, there's that part where she starts to think about Lupin and she's like, why am I thinking about him? So it's very much like that teenage crush love for him. And now we get that contrasted with Fujiko's mature love for Lupin. This mm. is what loving Lupin is Complicated really like. Complicated love. Very complicated, but also, you know, that real true love, you know, they talk about the different types of love in life, you know, a mother's love, you know, uh, a lover's love, and then a wife's love. And this, I have to say, is very much that the wife's love, you know? Mm. She, she knows when Lupin is vulnerable. She knows when Lupin is really getting into shit. And she is there for him when he really, really needs it. Mm. I don't know mm. if you remember, but we actually watched this episode in person together when it first yeah, aired, shortly after. Um, and this is right at the peak where we didn't really understand the point of part five, uh, yeah. but we were trying to work out like, is this in continuity with yeah. anything? Or, and we're trying to work it out. And we both had this theory that uh, Fujiko and Lupin had had a much more intimate relationship than we've ever seen before. Um, and this is the, the goldmine episode yes. that uh blurs the door well no it doesn't blur the door open yet it kind of kicks the door open and then closes it immediately afterwards teasing yeah. us further but exactly it does confirm that at this point in the the lupin continuity fujiko and lupin are closer or have been closer than they've ever been before in the past it um, canonizes the um ending song and which is really yes. interesting that a show would ever do that where the opening or closing credits of something is made canon now it doesn't need to be exactly like that but i i love the idea that all of the moments that we see um in the part five outro are scenes from that interstitial period of when the pirate stuff happens yes and the start of part five so, um, <laughs> what what is the pirate flashback? Oh, I I would love that episode. Yes, that so, is so crazy. There's like a blimp pirate ship, <laughs> and Lupin and Fujiko are full on dressed as pirates. They're not in their regular attire. No, we get teased like the most perfect exciting Lupin episode that's ever been <laughs> scripted and it's not ever a focus in this season no. and we kept thinking oh it's going to cut to it later down the season and it, you see a couple more scenes I think but yeah. this is this whole off-camera adventure that is never yeah. the focus and yet it is the moment when Fujiko is thrown out of a flying pirate ship by some like uh, Captain Hook looking dude yeah, <laughs> and Lupin yeah. jumps out without even a thought or a plan after her and they are fully in love and they're talking to each other differently and very friendly, which has been, which is at odds with what we've seen in the season so far. Because he calls yeah. her Fuji Cakes and he's refused to call her Fuji Cakes yeah. up until this point. And, and Zenigara actually mentions that. Yes. Either in this arc or in the I think previous it's one. The next episode, uh, Zeni brings it up. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, they're falling together and Lupin admits that like he wants to die with her. 
Um, whereas the number of times Fujiko has like abandoned him to die by himself uh, is uncountable. Um, but this massive tease of them implying that, yeah, you know, have they even proposed to each other at this point? Like, what is going on with this flashback? Comes out of nowhere, and then as soon as you're into it, it ends like a dream. Yeah. You're like, did I just imagine that? What? Why was she a pirate? Yeah. You get a lot of whiplash and it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because like in my notes, I'm like, Cleon's crazy theory comes true. I want to see the full <laughs> Sky Pirate story. A hundred percent that needs to be like a lost episode that comes back or yes. something. Like, but, but there is that weren't present when I watched this with Cleon. As we watch this scene live, he he leaps off the couch, which is something he does frequently while watching anime. <laughs> and like there's a little dance around the room in huge victory and celebration that uh, yeah. all our theories were correct. So that was awesome. And going back to this, like this, the idea of having this huge change in their relationship, but not being told to the audience, almost like Wolverine's origin story was sort of the conception of this podcast. So I think it is really important. We sort of, you know, uh, take it apart a little bit and, and talk about why it was important. Because again, even in part four, you know, they're very much their normal dynamic. There's a little bit of tension because Rebecca is sort of the first character to ever be, uh, a competitor for Lupin's mm, affection. She's designed but, to rock the boat, and Fujiko is definitely jealous of Rebecca in part four. Yeah, and, and part four kind of ends with, you know, it kind of does show that Lupin isn't really interested in her that way. Um, and in I Rebecca do wonder Fujiko? whether. Sorry? In Rebecca or Fujiko? The Lupin's it, not interested in. In Rebecca. In oh, Rebecca. yeah, Rebecca. Yes. And, and I the- do wonder, and I don't think we've ever had this conversation before, but I do wonder is Rebecca the catalyst? for how they see each other in the Sky Pirate episode, because does it take another woman for Lupin to go, oh, Fujiko is what I really want? And does it take another woman mm. for Fujiko to go, oh, I actually do want Lupin? And then that kind of slowly builds up yeah. and leads to it. Because, you know, I, I, I guess there has to be something that leads up to it. Why have there been three other, you know, seasons of, where this dynamic doesn't really change. And mm. now all of a sudden after part four, it does change, you know, like yeah. where is that catalyst? And and I, I, I'd like to think that Rebecca being that catalyst, not only connects part four with part five a little bit better, but it kind of makes sense, you know, mm. in the context of these characters. My, my memory was as uh, Lupin is breaking up with Rebecca, uh, in an appropriate way that everyone was happy with that outcome. <laughs> yeah. um, Lupin was kind of thinking about Fujiko at that time. Like, I think it was implied that, you know, he's giving it Rebecca, but he's not giving it Fujiko in his lifestyle. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a big moment in this episode that it kind of, I don't know, it makes a lot of the other stuff that happened in the episode uh, fade away into the background. Um, but we do, you know, they're going around trying to do their thing. They find out the princess uh, is, well, she's been captured by the priest and the priest is, enforcing martial law to seize control of the say a lot of the plot i don't think is, is that important yeah and, and look i'm fine to really not address the plot as much because i i reckon we i reckon we could keep talking about the lupin and fujiko stuff because there's a lot of little moments yeah. and contrast that i really really liked in this episode so you know lupin's obviously you know he has a wound um and in fear of it getting um infected they do the typical action movie action story thing where they have to cauterize it and you know remove yeah. the arrow and everything and there are these moments where army has to hold lupine down but even being close to his face is really nerve-wracking for her yes. and gets her to blush mm. but then later on we get fujiko because lupine gets a really high fever she takes off her clothes 
and then kind of warms him up. Yes, you know? very again, strange, very intimate scene. And strange because it's from the perspective of Ami yes. peeking in her sleep and witnessing a, a naked woman wrap around a, a guy. But yeah, very and, and I love how relevant. it. Yeah, and I love how it sort of juxtaposes that immature puppy love versus that mature love that only, mm. you know, a loving wife can provide. Yeah, what Lupin um, and Frigico have is so deeply intimate. Mm. They're so entangled in each other. Mm. Frigico acts like she doesn't want any of this, but when Lupin is fully down for the count and out of the picture, this is what she chooses mm. to do. So she definitely is still in love with him, even if she won't admit it to herself. Yep. Yeah, so the previous episode was... Fujiko tutoring Ami in terms of how to be a thief. Mm-hmm. This episode is Fujiko tutoring Ami in what it means to be a lover. Yeah, but I think it's true. I, I think it does it in a really good way. Like I think the <laughs> I think this runs a lot of the risk of being a really misogynist sort of story. Yeah. And kind of that that idea is very misogynist. But I, I actually think it does it in a really mature way. This Mm. is what real life is. This is what real life relationships are. And there's nothing about it that necessarily needs to be about a woman. I think if they even gender swap the characters, I think it would be a really powerful story and a real powerful sort of juxtaposition of immature versus mature love. Mm. Um, So we have all of that, but then we have Fujiko abandon them in the forest um, and a sort of army sort of, you know, and she uses that line again, you know, I'm a woman who's always loyal to her desires. I mean, Ami doesn't really get what Fujiko is doing because what she's actually doing is getting them in a safe spot while she sort of diverts the enemies to her. Mm. And it just goes to show that Ami still sort of has so much more to learn. Yeah. It was a good lesson for her. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and the episode ends with Fujiko asking Lupin what she is to him, which is, of course, something that we don't get answered to yeah, for a while. Yeah, because, you know, we're kind of suspecting something bad's happened. And she, as Lupin comes to her rescue, she's kind of like, hang on, are you here for the diamond? Are you here for me? And she basically screams at him in the middle of this military group approaching mm. on their little hut. Like, what am I to you? And she prevents her ultimatum uh, to him. Like, he needs to give an answer. Yeah, um, and I think we'll just address it now. And in the in the last episode of the arc, we sort of see what the follow up is for that. And Lupin, in a very again stone faced, serious way, just goes, "I'm here for the diamond," you know, and takes that. And because he's just not at that point where he can kind of acknowledge what's going on, where he can give her a full answer. Mm. And I think we'll have to talk about what the difference is between what's happening here and what happens at the end of the series. Because I do wonder what is it that Lupin learns so that he can give Fujiko the correct answer? Mm. Is it that he realises that they still need a bit of time apart or is there something else that he still needs to get to sort of understand everything about their relationship? Mm. It's true. Yeah, it's very uh, complicated, I think, for Lupin Mm. to work that out. Mm. Um, um, and then the last question I have yeah. is that a lot of um, the, the the last episode of the arc is called "Let's Talk About First Loves." Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, it got me thinking: like, is Lupin Fujiko's first love? Mm. That's you know, highly is, likely, with what we know from a woman named Fujiko Mine. And is that why Fujiko is so hard on Ami and 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 sort of so hard on her? 
sort of realizing what the reality of loving Lupine is like or being involved almost with Lupine is like. Yeah. Well, I guess we get kind of jumping ahead a little bit to the end of the arc. Yeah. Kind of one of the final scenes we see is uh, the princess and Ami are yes. able to maintain their friendship, even though the princess has decided to become some kind of nationalistic uh, dictator for people yeah, to preserve their tradition. I don't get that. Uh, I think there's uh, a bit more to wrap your head around, but it's not that important in the bigger story. So yeah. we skim past a little bit. But mm. um, they very much schoolgirls again, whispering each other. She liked the uh, Ugro guy from the CAA. Uh, and then Ami whispers in. We assume Ami is whispering about Lupin is her first love. Uh, yeah. That is basically a metaphor, I think, for the coyness of Fujiko and Lupin. Yeah. in that they both have this secret they want to admit, but have decided that they can't uh, admit that to even themselves. Um, yeah, I really like that take. My yeah. my sort of take for that scene was Ami has matured a lot. She has learned a lot of the reality of what it's like to lead this life, but she can also still appreciate being a teenager and having that puppy love. You know, yes. She understands the reality of what it's yeah. like, but she can still enjoy the thrill yes. of what it is to have a crush on someone and enjoy that yes. you know, my, in her own you, way. I did have a note from the last episode. <laughs> There's this scene where Ami pulls a grenade and throws it into a truck and it kills everyone in the truck because there's an explosion. <laughs> and then the truck crashes into the river and Fujiko is like, yeah, good job, Ami. And Ami's really happy and confident with herself. Um, yeah, and she's like, your actions helped save the three of us. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, she also straight up murdered a yeah. group of people. I, I think it's just the the kind of tone of the genre in that, it's the mm. same with Captain America killing bunches of dudes. Like, you can't have a true hero in this kind of spy uh, no. drama. It, you kind of have to let that go. But um, I do wonder if because she killed all those people, Fujiko maybe had confidence in her, and that's why Fujiko left shortly after yeah. that scene as well. I um, agree. Um, so we also, I guess, in this episode, are teased by the last arc's big bad. Yeah the shake hands sort of stuff. And so we see that they're sort of running an almost beta project in Padar. Um, so we know that this is going to come to a bigger fall by the end of the series, but a lot of it is to do with information control and surveillance. Mm. Um, um, and we have been teased. We've seen him in the background, like launching mm. apps and stuff in yeah. like even part one, uh, the first, sorry, the first arc of this yeah. season. Um, but now we get the name Enzo uh, is given. Um, shake hands is mentioned. And and I'll just say that Enzo being identified as Italian is a very interesting uh, piece of information because oh. um, we do get a certain character talk about how soba is very much a, a tasty pasta. So there are some really nice little connections here that they've left um, before we get, we get the big revelation. Yeah, um, I think... Enzo also states that uh, nations are too slow to keep up with the times and half the nations will disappear. I think it's yeah. playing more into that fear of uh, cultures and countries will, you know, fade away as the internet comes out. How do you maintain and keep something relevant and respect yeah. the tradition that's come, which is the ultimate question of Lupin as a TV series. Yeah. How do we keep reinventing this character, but stay true to what he has always been and uh, we've always known him as? Yeah. And that idea that pure modernization means that everything is homogenous, mm. you know, and that's the idea of like, you know, okay, 
if we make all of Lupin into just one thing, what does that do to his stories? What does that do to the diversity that we could get? And here with full modernization, it of course wipes off the countries off the map because yeah. we'll have full homogenization of what the world would be like. You know, the uh, natural selection will play, the big countries will survive, but all of these other things will collapse. Mm. Um, I think in this episode as well, um, Ami asked the question, uh, why did you steal me to Lupin? Um, yeah. And going on my theory earlier of does Ami represent the audience? Mm. Uh, I want to ask the question, did Lupin steal the audience watching mm. the show? Like, is part of, you know, exploring who he is as a character? Because he mentions to Ami, like, how much cooler can he get than this? I think during some motorcycle chase in this episode, a pretty yeah. cool moment. Like, does the show Lupin the Third is it presents such a cool and interesting and vibrant universe that it pulls you in and kidnaps you along for the ride. Um, when are you going to be cooler than when you watch Lupin the Third and make a podcast about Lupin the Third? You'll never be cooler than that. That's the coolest possible thing you can do. Uh, we, are, we are like the, what is it? The sort of uh, final, final form of what the Lupin internet can become. Absolutely. <laughs> but does Lupin as this trickster entity, like kidnap us, pull us in, make us fall in love with him. Uh, and what does that kind of mean for us and how we visualize Lupin? Does Lupin become then our first love, uh, I mean, of anime? Uh, I mean, there's other loves of anime, but like, you know, does it represent yeah. a, a deeper connection because of that? I totally agree in that, in the sense that like you, you mentioned um, in earlier podcast episodes, is this Lupin versus millennials, you know? <laughs> and we have that part where Ami's out in the woods and she just struggles with a life. Like she just struggles mm -hmm. to be outside, struggles to have to do anything survivalist. And this is Lupin going, hey, everyone, you have all of your lives you know, consumed by technology and social media. This is what pure, this is what true romance and true adventure yeah. is really like. And Lupin kind of going, I'm still relevant in society. You know, mystery and chaos still matter. You know, we understand that the world is being increasingly sort of surveilled, you know, where we're understanding that everyone sort of has you know, uh, the like there's, there's that lack of privacy. Everyone knows what everyone else yep. is up to. There's a lack again, of mystery is, in the world, yeah. Exactly. And what Lupin is trying to show is that there is chaos, there is still mystery, and he is kind of keeping that going and kind of saying, like, there is a reason for me to exist, but also there is a reason why you guys should live like this as well. Yeah, yeah. You need some adventure in your life. And mm. this is a, you can still have that adventure in the modern world. Mm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, so I, <clears throat> overall, kind of looking at the Fujiko Lupin romance and also sort of um, Fujiko showing these aspects of the Lupin life to Ami, that made it a really, really enjoyable sto story for me. Mm. Yeah, I think if it didn't have those moments, I would very much glaze over this arc. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's completely conceptually <laughs> fine. It holds up to all the... Uh, methods and formula of a Lupin kind of storyline or adventure. Um, but I just think it falls flat in some of the bigger questions this whole series asks. And so the kernels, when it is a huge character focus or moment of development, specifically for Lupin and Fujiko, um, they were really big, really enjoyable moments. Um, a lot of kind of, I don't know, seeing Fujiko in action is always kind of some of the most fun they sure can have. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of the two, like, world-breaking sort of 
uh, story developments in the series. I would say one that we get later on in the series, but that idea that, yeah, they were straight up married guys. Like this happened. There was a huge change in their relationship. And although we didn't see it, it is something that is lasting now and is something that the characters will have to grow from and learn to deal with. Yeah. Which I don't know is the thing I respect most about Lupin that Mm. it doesn't shy away from character development, but it also knows how to not lose sight of what makes it. uh, Yeah what makes these characters these characters. It is so rare to see a media that has continuity, but doesn't lose complete conceptual vision of the relationship of the characters. I agree. I agree. All right. So that about rounds up our thoughts on this one. Um, I reckon, Ben, in terms of planning out our future episodes, we're going to wrap up part five. I think that's definitely like a huge thing that we're wanting to do. But re-watching some of part five, I really like those one-off episodes yeah, as well, those concept fun. episodes. So I think, um, how do you like the idea of maybe we record one episode for the end of part five, but then one episode where we briefly sort of talk about our favorites from the one-shot stories? Yeah, I think that could work out. Maybe you and I could pick like a suit jacket color, pick one episode to represent that or something uh, yeah. and discuss that. I think that could be good. Yeah, really good. Just because I think there's a lot of really interesting concepts um, that we can sort of really dive into on the podcast. And then from then onwards, you know, I'd like to really talk about some of the other Lupine media. I don't know, Ben, have you seen the Japanese live action movie? No, I'm keen to watch that somehow uh, and give feedback on that. Um, I'd also like to somehow time it so we can watch the new woman named Fujiko Mine. Uh, yes. film? Well, it's not new anymore. It came out last year in yeah. the hiatus. But yeah. also, we're building up towards the CGI um, live-action movie, which I think was maybe going to be released globally, but now with Corona, I don't know no. if we can go see it anywhere. Um, yeah. But I know it's getting an Italian launch, so it's very likely more so than other Lupin media that might appear in a watchable format. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of the gift of Lupin going forward is there's still adaptions being made so in new ways. So yeah. I'm keen to, yeah, you know, revisit some of the old stuff, revisit the new stuff. Um, yeah. You've been watching a lot of the old episodes. I have, so it'd be I fun have. to discuss, uh, you know, what has changed and what has been maintained, tradition versus modernity. Mm. Yeah. There's yeah. a big future of Lupin ahead for us. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, let's, let's see how we go. Uh, every time we kind of sit down and go, yep, we're going to record more episodes. Either I need to get my head and head and throat reconstructed yeah, or you know, one of us gets married. You can't one of us see goes to this is a podcast, but Cleon has a completely different head than the one he started the podcast. Like That'll be really relevant in our next episode. Oh, true. <laughs> Oh, it's actually uh, a different person all along, Benjamin. Oh, are you going to show me your true face? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'm going to throw it away and then I'm going to mysteriously just have it back on. Oh man, can't wait to have that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be like face off. Mm. Um, I guess last thing you want to do in the episode um, is um, we received an email, yes. didn't we, Cleon? Which, to be honest, is the reason, besides coronavirus, why we decided to kickstart this podcast uh, in the butt and get started up again. Um, what was the email about? 
Yeah, so the email was from uh, one of our listeners, Emily. Now, she, now it's our fault. We didn't reply until about two weeks after, but after we replied, we haven't really heard back from her. So we hope that she's okay. And, um, yeah, if you're listening um, to this, Emily, please uh, email us back. Uh, let us know what you think of this episode, uh, of us coming back. And, yeah, we'd just really like to say thanks to her and thanks to everyone else out there who's listening because, you know, I think overall Loop on the Third is such a weird niche thing and us doing a podcast on it, us two random Aussie blokes doing a podcast <laughs> on it is even more sort of niche. Um, we'd like to hope and, you know, continue to record more episodes and 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 get more of a following but we really appreciate those who have kind of you know checked us out and i don't think either of us know emily personally so she would have been just a a, another lupin fan looking for people to want to talk about it and listen to it i believe yeah part of her words and email was that uh she was a big fan of lupin and it's discussed so infrequently um, online and that's kind of why we wanted to do this podcast exactly. we love lupine it has so much potential to be liked by so many people especially yes. in the anime community um yeah. uh, but there's very few formats to kind of discuss it um and there's a lot to discuss so uh, yeah i was very honored uh, by email emily um and i would love to hear more we'd like to know what your favorite parts of lupine is or um, to anyone listening in general um what's your knowledge of lupine what have you been exposed to what would you like uh, to watch of Lupin, uh, do you want recommendations, that kind of thing? Because um, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic show uh, that brings much adventure to people's lives. I agree, and um, yeah, definitely fling us your thoughts on on not only the episodes that we do, but the episodes that we've covered as well. We'd like to get a sense of what people think, because honestly, Ben, I don't know what anyone else apart from the two of us thinks about Part Five. Yeah. Um, to us, it was a really sort of um milestone in us consuming tv fiction like um for me at least that year it was the best television show that i watched yes, that year on record many times saying that it was a yeah. bit of a dud year for television but i was still shocked over everything you picked lupine as the best tv you watch yeah and to me it was it was it was I, I was already a Lupin fan. I was already I'm a, I was already a ride or die Lupin stand to quote a lot of internet culture. But that kind of cemented me into going, okay, I need to be someone who explores every dark crevice of this series and these characters because I yes. kind of want to know everything now. And what I'm finding is that even when you go back 50 years, that shit still connects to the end of part five. Yeah, like definitely. Everything is important. There are parts in, yeah, at the end of part five. Now I've seen those old episodes that are referred to and like sort of screenshots are sort of shown and it, it all makes sense. It all connects. So um, yeah, I'm really excited, not only for us, Ben, but, you know, for the Lupin fandom in general, just to continue on the adventure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll try and release on a somewhat semi-regular basis. Uh, we'll see how editing and sort of Ironically, uploading this episode it took goes. for the whole country to shut down for us <laughs> to continue the podcast. So, Even though you know. we talk about Lupin a fair bit, like, privately, like, it's yes. kind of a constant sort of theme in our messages. Um, and it means a lot to us. And it's kind of like a really nice little thing that we have in our friendship. But to be able to release this podcast and put it out there on the internet, it's really, really special. Yeah. 
So yeah, thanks for your time today, Cleon. And thanks for listening to us if you bothered to make it to this point in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I thought we could also end off by just talking about, you know, uh, coronavirus is happening and there's a lot of crazy things happening out in the world. But what's something that you've been enjoying recently, man, that maybe some of our fans can get onto and bring some sort of joy or entertainment in their life? Yeah, so um, we recorded this podcast in Zoom. Um, which is a paid program and it's like $20 a month if you want all the features, but there is a free version. I, I just am enjoying everyone's kind of rising to the challenge to use uh, technology to facilitate communication. I think coronavirus sets up a lot of fear in people and uh, being cut off from friends and family sucks. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very inspiring to see, like, especially I work in schools, so to see schools in like two weeks rewrite their whole program so kids mm. could learn online. Um, to watch uh, even uh, a church group that I'm involved in, we're able to transition to online and uh, present sermons um, that way, which was very uh, enjoyable too. It's different, but it's enjoyable. Just to see different opportunities like that. I've got lots of friends that now use Zoom. We started using it for Dungeons and Dragons. We used it to record this podcast. Not trying to promote specifically Zoom, but just that I think we're very lucky you know, speaking of Lupa and this idea of tradition and, and modern stuff, to yeah. live in a in a world where we do have that technology to attempt to bring people together. It doesn't yeah. replace the real thing, but yeah. I can look you in the somewhat JPEGy eyes uh, and <laughs> see your face, which, you yeah. know, other eras of history, I would have gone insane without being able to do that and see people. Or you might go insane just looking at me in my uh, fancy blue pyjamas. It is nice. Oh, it's a pyjama shirt, is it? Yeah, pyjama shirt. Fooled and, me. Um, you could pants. sit through in an interview in that shirt and I would have thought it was a business <laughs> shirt. Yeah, it's very schmancy. Um, yeah, I, I, sort of following what Ben said, like uh, there was a moment where me, Ben, and our friend Harry, we were all hanging out in Animal Crossing and... Um, For those of you who might not know, Animal Crossing New Horizons came out on the Nintendo Switch and it's kind of this really... Replacement for life at the moment. Yeah, it's just this insane coincidence um, in terms of when it was able to come out. But uh, I'm I'm sure a lot of listeners, if we do have listeners for this episode, will will be Animal Crossing fans or sort of be exposed to it in some way. But um, yeah, we had this moment where we're all kind of hanging out in, in Ben's house in the game and we sort of had Discord on and we had our earphones and we're just all talking. And it was this way that we use technology to sort of hang out in the same place whilst being in completely separate parts of Melbourne, Victoria, yeah. uh, which was really, really, yeah, it was a really heartening moment for me to go like, I can still do this. I can still be with my friends, even though we're all in isolation and, and lockdown. So kind of echoing what Ben was saying, like people really improvising ways of not only doing their job and communicating with other people, but also, you know, continuing that socialization through technology and through these really weird niche means. Mm. Um, and then another thing that I want to talk about is to sort of use this time to dive into something. Cause I, as, as Ben knows, I have many obsessions yep. and when I find an obsession, I dive into it quite deeply. And so recently I've uh, started an obsession with cheese um, the food cheese. Hi, welcome to the cheese podcast. <laughs> We're just going to talk about cheese is, from now on. This is just a backdoor pilot for my cheese but podcast. Cleon's moved on from Lupin. We're now just talking about cheese. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just used it as a chance to go, you know what, I have this spare time on my hands. You know, I can make these online orders. I'm just going to deep dive hang into on, cheese. Hang on. You online order cheese? 
I did. I You're going to have to send me the website. Like, I, I probably won't buy any. I just want to see what my options to order cheese online are. There's, yeah, there's heaps, actually. There's several different websites that you can use. And um, they, if, if you can't... Um, if you're not going to be at home for home delivery, which very suspect if you're not in your home right now, mm-hmm. but if you're not, they um, deliver it to you with uh, ice packs in there, but otherwise they just kind of like, yeah, deliver it to you in a box with some nice straw and everything. It's really, really cool. So yeah, I, I just used it as an opportunity to really get into cheese. And I think it really not only takes your mind off it, but it gets you to explore different parts of who you are. Like, you know, I'm like, fire out. I'm a guy who really, really likes cheese. I found I'm a out after, man. yeah, I'm a cheese guy uh, after 27 years of living and not really caring about cheese. Um, also, Will Studs Cheese Slices. It's a Australian-made show hosted by a British guy. Um, if you are an Australian viewer, uh, oh, sorry, listener, um, it's on SBS On Demand or Foxtel Go. So it's a show where this really charming British man travels around the world and each episode is on a particular country's type of cheese. And so I uh, binge watched about seven seasons of it, four of which who I got from like libraries from rural parts of country Victoria. So yeah, I guess it's just me just saying, you know, take, take this current uh, situation as a chance to, learn something new, do something new, learn something new about yourself, all of that schmaltzy shit, you know? You've got six weeks, oh no, sorry, six months potentially off of work to pursue your niche interests guilt-free because you're forced to stay at home. So, exactly. You know, use a time to play a video game, to watch an anime series. Now's a good time to start One Piece. Or to oh, eat cheese. Yeah. Have you ever eaten the same cheese he's talked about in the episode? Um, yes, the same time I have. you watch it. I have now eaten six cheeses um, that he's <laughs> eaten on the show and the farms Amazing. of which that he's visited on the show. So I've eaten a um, an American blue cheese from an American dairy he visited, a French comté. Wait, so they're shipping this cheese internationally for you to yes. consume? Yes. So he, he uses the show to basically hook up with farms and dairies who hook him up with cheese that he sells through Australian stores. Crazy. It's the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Because the cheeses that he gets are from these really rural sort of low-key places. So it's not like random Australian dairies or random Australian cheese shops are going to sort of be able to source it. So he's the kind of guy who uses the TV show to go out there, make these connections, and then just make money on the side selling cheese. It's a really, really Lupin-esque outfit that he has. Yeah, wow. That's <laughs> interesting. Once we are, uh, yeah, once this whole social... You're not lactose intolerant, are no, you? No, by all means, no. I okay. can eat cheese till the cows come home. <laughs> Literally. Um, from their alpine pastures. Um, look, when this whole uh, social isolation thing is... Yes, um, please treat me to some cheese. Yeah, well, the thing is, I was going to say, uh, we'll have a cheese and whiskey night because oh, yes. my current... Yeah, my current obsession is pairing whiskeys with cheeses. So I found that... Um, Blue cheese pairs really well with moderately to heavily peated whiskey. So the really smoky, smoky whiskey goes really well with the sort of sweet pungentness from blue cheese. And um, the really dank, smelly washed rind cheeses go really well with pork cask matured whiskey. So for the 0.1 listenership, 
who are also obsessed with cheese and whiskey pairings, but are also avid Lupin fans listening to our podcast, uh, please, please try that out and um, let me know on asinine Lupin on, at gmail.com or on Twitter and Facebook where we're found. Um, I've also been experimenting with uh, fruit um, yes. in the time I've been at home. Did you make uh, your Noah's Ark burger? Not yet, but I did discover that if you buy a, a $3.15 log of Don potentially ham product uh, and fry it up, it tastes nearly like bacon. Why couldn't you just get bacon? <laughs> oh, it's, I don't know. It's too expensive. I was just trying to find cheap meat alternatives in case all the meat at the supermarket disappeared like it did that one day. Yeah. So, also, coronavirus was probably created because someone like you tried to make the Noah's Ark burger, it seems. <laughs> That's true. That has put me off it a little bit. Um, fun fact, go through with it. Fun fact no one is talking about. Um, seven lions at the Bronx Zoo have coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, sorry, seven tigers. Tigers, yeah. Tigers at yeah. least. So, great. So... It's a real fun apocalypse. Anyways, watch Lupin the Third. There's so much of it to watch right now. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Just turn this podcast off 15 minutes ago and go watch Lupin. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure if you're, you're in like North America or whatever the hell, like the Crunchyroll supports all the old series oh. of Lupin. So unfortunately for Australian fans, we'll only have part four and part five yeah. on streaming as well as um, Cagliostro. Yeah. Uh, that's well, available that's for us on Netflix. Netflix. So go straight to Netflix and watch that now. Yeah, and my partner who has no interest in anime, action movies, thievery, or literally anything about Lupin, absolutely. She has no interest in thievery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> A few um, dates we weren't sure, but I'm glad you worked that out. <laughs> so she really enjoyed it. And, and she, you know, c- coming back to what we talked about this episode, had the very apt comparison of it to inspect the gadgets. So if you have significant others or family or whoever that you're sort of self-quarantining with or self-isolating with, you know, introduce them to Lupin. And uh, Ben kind of mentioned this um, at the start of the podcast as well, but Castle of Cagliostro is a really nice sort of um, introduction point. So if you have a Netflix account, you know, show them Cagliostro. Yeah. Otherwise, watch Pompoko. It's about raccoons killing people with their testicles. All right, we've yeah. been Ben and Cleon. Thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> See ya.